Thank you, Daniel. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Eric O'Connell. I'm the high school youth pastor here at Hillside Community Church. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, we've been going through a series in the book of Galatians called Set Free. Uh, and this morning, we get to come to a really fun passage. Uh, it's pretty controversial, but it's also one of the more important passages for understanding what Paul thinks about the law and what its function is in our life today and in the life of the church. Uh, but before we dive into that, I want to share a story. So I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. Uh, it was about 12 years ago. And, you know, the house I grew up in, it was a very broken house. Jesus was not the central focus of it. Um, and, you know, when you grow up in a broken house, sometimes one of the things that happens is you begin to make broken decisions. And that's exactly what I did. Made some poor decisions. And one of the consequences for my poor decisions was, that's it, you're going to youth group. You're going to be a good kid. And so I went to youth group, and it actually worked. Um, I, well, I don't know the good kid part, but uh, I went to youth group, and my youth pastor presented the gospel message to me in a way that was just undeniable and gave my life to Jesus. And ever since then, I've been trying to figure out what it, what it is to be a Christian and how to walk in God's will. Three years later, when I was 19 years old, I met my wife. My wife is a different person than I am in a lot of ways, and one of those is she got to grow up in a very loving, uh, faithful Christian home um, where her identity in Christ was established in her well before she even knew who Jesus was, and uh, you know, she was encouraged to walk in God's will and to really seek to do what he wanted for her life uh, consistently, and she, it was very important to her family. And she's very close to her family, and one of the they have traditions, they have routines and stuff that they would do. And one of these was Sunday mornings. It was very important to them. Sunday mornings, you go to church, preferably in the 930 uh, service. And then after the 930 service, you go and you have a coffee with extended family, aunt and uncles. When grandma was alive, we'd go see grandma. Uh, after that, you come home for lunch. Mom or dad would cook a meal. We would sit down at the table and we, dad would share a devotion, and we'd talk about how the week went, and he'd share an encouragement for as we go into the next week, and then we'd sit down and watch TV, most likely take a nap, but spend time together, right? That was the important part. You're spending time together and not necessarily in other places. Now, as I pursued Jamie, obviously I wanted to be a part of this. I wanted to immerse myself in it, because if I was going to marry her, it's important that I know her family. So, for some reason, they liked me, and they said, we'll let him come and hang out with us, and I very much enjoyed getting to spend that time with her family. One of the Sundays, something happened where uh, my wife and I vividly remember it to this day, and we still laugh about it. Uh, usually, the routine is you take a nap, uh, and afterwards, we'd go back to our dorm room at Biola around the dinner hour. Well, you know, we'd go back to Biola because we'd have homework to do. There were things that needed to get done before the week started. You know, all that stuff. So we'd go back. Well, this time I didn't have homework. I had just gotten paid. Uh, most of the time when we'd go back, we would watch TV together anyway. So I thought, hey, you know what? Hey, Jamie, why don't we go see a movie when we get back at the theater? And the look and the abruptness with which my wife, my wife gave me the look let me know I had asked the wrong question. Now, I don't know why it was the wrong question at that time. But surely the look she gave me in her body language let me know that was not the right question to ask. So I dropped it. We got in the car. We said our goodbyes. We get back to Biola. And as on our way back to Biola, wise or not, I bring up the question. And I say, hey, why'd you, why'd you look at me that way? Did, did I do something wrong? She goes, Eric, it's Sunday. We don't go to the movies on Sundays. My family, that's, that is a rule for us. We don't do that. Now, remember, I'd only been a Christian for three years. My understanding of faith and how to live it out was very limited. So in the very limited knowledge I had, I asked, why? And she said, it's, it's the Sabbath. 
Sunday is a sacred day, and we, we're supposed to be resting today. We're not supposed to be going and doing normal stuff. We're supposed to be keeping this a sacred day. I said, it's for rest? He said, yeah. He said, sounds pretty restful to me. <laughs> I would like to sit down in a cool theater and watch a movie with you. I don't necessarily see where the rest thing comes, you know, gets... She said, no, it's, it's, here's the, we're, we're called to also love our neighbor, and by you doing that, you're making other people work, and, you know, that's, we, we don't want to do that. We wouldn't want people to make us work, so it's important for us that we don't do that. Again, I, I'm, this is not a sermon on whether or not you can go see movies on Sundays. Please don't take that, but it was, what was, the, the deal was, I just, I was not privy to this rule, this, you don't go to the movies on Sundays, and you don't make other people work on Sundays. It was something that just, I had never considered and if I was going to marry my wife, it's important that I not just dismiss things that are important to her, nor blindly follow. Actually, I probably should blindly follow. It would probably make a lot of things easier. <laughs> but it was important that I ask the question, right? Why? Why does this rule exist? It, what it sounds like you're saying is, I can't go to the movies on Sunday because I need a rest, yet the rule is keeping me from doing a restful thing. That seems to me, at that point in my life, a contradiction, and I wanted to know why. And this was the primary thing that we talked about. Now, that, that is the, the question that Paul is wrestling with this morning. Not, should we go to the movies not on Sunday? But Paul has said some things about the law to these Galatian Christians. And they're going, look, you're saying one thing, and we believe another. This, these things are contradictory, so you need to tell us, Paul, why did we get the law in the, in, in the first place? So before we get there, just a quick recap of how we got to this point. The letter of Galatians is Paul uh, addressing an issue that he has with this group down here called the Final Step Christians. The Final Step Christians are uh, a group of Jewish Christians who have converted to Christianity but still want to live their Jewish lifestyle. They still have dietary restrictions. They still follow the Sabbath. They, circumcise, they, they do all the things a good Jew would do. Uh, up here we have the Galatian Christians. The Galatian Christians are not Jewish. They're unfamiliar with the Jewish lifestyle. Uh, and what happened was Paul came and he preached to them. He preached Jesus to them. And the final step Christians heard about it and they became a little bit concerned. It's great that Paul was going to go ahead and preach Jesus to them, but Paul didn't tell them about the law. He didn't tell them the other things they needed to do in order to be fully accepted by God. That was their concern. And so what they did is out of their Christian love, they go up to the Galatian Christians and they say, hey, Paul told you A, but we're here to tell you B and C. And once you get B and C done, then you're good to go, right? They go back down, and the Galatian Christians buy it. They say, oh, fantastic, this is great, we're all for it. We want to follow God with all of our lives. And presumably, they write a letter to Paul saying, Paul, great news, you told us about Jesus. These important people down here told us about the law, and we're ready to live with those in perfect harmony. This is going to be fantastic. To which Paul gets very upset um, and writes this letter. You know, it, it, it's ironic because they're saying, Paul, we're so excited to share with you our adherence to the law. And Paul's like, that's the worst thing you can do. And Paul has said a lot up to this point, but specifically last week, Paul talked about, uh, he gave a very negative review of the law. Um, this is almost like Paul saying, you think that law is great, huh? You, uh, you think that it's going to make you, you, th you think that following it is going to make God love you and accept you more? You think that now you've figured out all these rules for how God wants you to live? Let me tell you something. Um, it actually puts you under a curse. And not just any curse. It puts you under God's curse. 
Paul said three things that he knew about the law. He goes, look, it's never saved anyone. No one, not one person, history of the world has ever been saved by following the law. Second, I used to be the biggest zealot for this law, and I had to die to it in order that I could live for God. And then lastly, look, the law never helped anyone receive the Holy Spirit. Never, not once. And on top of that, Paul goes an extra measure, and he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What Paul is saying is, watch out. The law can, and if you allow it to, will destroy you. It is dangerous. And what's tricky about Paul's overwhelming negative review of the law is that the final step Christians believed that the law gave them life, purpose, meaning, a way for them to connect with the God who not only created them, but the entire universe. And this is a big deal. And Paul's saying not only does it not do any of those things, it, it puts you under a curse. This is a real problem. And if that's the case, then the question has to be, why then was the law given at all? You're saying it curses us. If the rule for no movies is so that you can rest, but it, promote, it denies you from having rest, there's a contradiction here, Paul. We are being told it's something else you're saying. Why was it given? Paul goes on to say, it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Moment of honesty. When I read this last week, I had to read it about four or five times. <laughs> Didn't really get what it was saying. And so I went back and read through it and, and read some commentary, talked to some people. And really, Paul's saying three things about the law here, okay? Three things. First off, it was given to us to show us how bad we are. First thing, right to the point, it shows us how bad. It doesn't give us the method in which we'll be saved. It doesn't give us our means for salvation. It says, you are sinful and you need rescue. One of the primary reasons it was given is to show us emphatically that we are the problem. We are lawbreakers. And we need a solution to a problem that we created and we are not the people who are going to do that. We cannot be perfect law uh, law keepers, and we need rescue. We need salvation. Second, and this is probably the most uh, controversial of everything he says, he goes, its purpose was temporal. Let's look, guys, it, this was an interim thing. And we know, right, in this passage, right, in Galatians, we know that Paul is saying this because he uses this language. as the law was given until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So, it sounds like, it doesn't say it explicitly, but certainly seems by what Paul is saying that he's saying, look, the law was given to us and we were supposed to wait for the seed to come and that's Jesus. Jesus is here. We have the Holy Spirit. From the way I see it, this is Paul speaking, not me, from the way I see it, I don't think, we don't need the law. It's, it, it's, it, there was an expiration date and it's come. Now stick with me for a little bit because he's going <laughs> to elaborate. And I know that could be co pretty controversial. But then lastly, he says, look, it's also inferior to the promise that God had given to Abraham. The promise that God gave to Abraham, when God gave him that promise, God spoke to Abraham. He said, I will bless you, and I will bless all nations through you. That is my plan. That is my promise. It was God, and it was Abraham. When Paul looks at the law, he goes, again, the way I see it, God entrusted it to the angels. And so he kind of put a barrier between us. He said, angels, here's the law. You take care of it. You give it to Moses. 
and Moses will then give it to the people. So as Paul is saying these two things, he's saying, gosh, you know, the, it seems like God was a lot more interested in giving the promise to Abraham and not so interested in giving the law. He gave it to someone else to give to them. And to, to summarize, Paul is saying, look, the reason the law was given to us is so that we would know how utterly incapable we are of saving ourselves and that we need someone to save us, that there was an expiration date. And from what I can see, that expiration date has come and gone with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And while I know it's important to you, the reality is, is that the promise given to Abraham and the promises that we are going to ex experience and receive through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they're so much better than what the law was going to give us. So, sounds like what Paul is saying, and uh, by association, I'm guilty of saying that not only is the law seem to be useless, but it almost seems like it contradicts and goes against the very promises of God, right? If Abraham, if God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you and all the nations through you, and then the law, Paul says, curses you, God gave it, it seems like the two are at odds with each other, right? Luckily for me, Paul anticipated that this would be the question, and he, he responds to it. He says, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? And emphatically, Paul says, absolutely not. No. You might be tempted to think, look, there was Abraham, then the law, and Jesus. You might be, from what I'm saying, tempted to think, because of Jesus, we don't need the law. Just scratch it out. It's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, no, there, there is a purpose, and, and we can't just forget about it. But he goes on to say this. He said, For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Here's Paul's argument. If the law could give life, then it's safe to assume that the law would also give us a way to become righteous in God's eyes. Because in order to, be, to, to have life, we need to be right in front of God. So if the law could give life, it would have given us that opportunity and that venue to, to be righteous and to become right in God's eyes. But it didn't do that. That was never the plan. The law never intended to impart life. In fact, what the law, their scripture, did was it locked up everything under the control of sin. It's a really interesting way of viewing scripture, one that we don't really think of very often. But what Paul is literally saying, translated from the Greek, is, look, scripture imprisoned all the world to sin. Again, not a typical way we like to see scripture, but what he's saying is, look, scripture, the law, did not give you the power and the means to now save yourself. In fact, what it did is it let you know that you are guilty and that you are in big trouble and that you need help. The law shows us that we don't just fall short of God's will and that if we just try a little bit harder and put an extra effort to do better, that we'll be better. No, it lets us know, the law shows us that if we take an honest look at ourselves, at our heart, and the way that we live our lives, that we are completely and utterly under sin's power. The purpose is of the law was to show we need a rescue. And Tim Keller, he has this quote that I love. He says, ironically, if we think we can be righteous by the law, we have missed the main point of the law, which is that we are not righteous and we will not be made righteous ever because of the law itself. We are made righteous and we are accepted by God 
and the same way that Abraham became righteous, which is through faith and belief. And Paul says this. He says, look, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, not those who follow every letter of the law, not those who are perfect and do it, not those who just try a little bit harder, but those who believe. The law does its job in leading us to our recognition that we need salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying to his audience is, look, the law never intended to bring life, and since righteousness comes by faith, these final step Christians who have come to talk to you have no right to demand or teach you that in or- you live by the law and then God accepts you. That's not how it works. It's by faith. It's through Jesus, not by what you do. And then Paul brings it home with these next two verses. He says, because the coming of this faith or before the coming of this faith, we were locked up, held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Paul uses two images here. The first one we'll go through quick, and then the second one we'll spend a little bit more time on and close with that. The first image he uses is custody. He says, look, the law literally imprisoned us. Not, not only did the law convict us of our sin, but it was the instrument through which we became imprisoned. We're guilty, and as a result, we are put under custody, waiting uh, release, but the only release, the only possible freedom comes through Jesus. And that's why I really like this image, because we've been talking about through the series about Jesus alone, Christ alone, only Jesus, nothing else but Jesus, and us being in prison, the only way we can be let out is if Jesus comes and frees us. So that's the first image he uses. Look, that's what the law did. It imprisoned us so that Jesus could come and save us. But the second image he uses, in my opinion, is much more helpful in us understanding the true purpose. And answering that question, why did God give us the law? Paul uses this image. He says, the law was our guardian. This is one of those times in scripture where understanding the Greek word uh, helps us understand what he's talking about in his argument. When he says the law is a guardian, he says that the, la- the guard is a pedagogue. Right? This is going to be our pedagogue. It's important that you remember this guy. So the law is our pedagogue. Now, what is a pedagogue? It was someone that an ancient family would employ to watch over their children. But they weren't just a babysitter. They had more specific and intense functions than a babysitter would have. They would be a supervising presence who offered protection and also discipline. Okay, and if students were to learn anything through the pedagogue, most of the times it would be through harsh, and we see historically sometimes physically violent means of reinforcement. Um, They were seen as stern disciplinarians, harsh taskmasters. And again, they they had a temporal uh, role. Their role had an expiration date. It was only until the child became into late adolescence or an adult. Pedagogue, even the first word peda, it's child. Its literal role is defined by it being a child. So once the thing it watches over is no longer a child, it goes into late adolescence, adulthood, it's not needed anymore. And there would be no conceivable reality in which the parent would say, let's keep him. So to help this come alive, when we're asking the question, why was, why did the, law, why was the law given to us? When Paul's answering that question, he he says the law was our guardian. The law was our pedagogue. Okay, so if you'll humor me for a little bit, we're going to start this week with it, but it's an image we'll continue to use um, as we kind of develop what Paul is saying or uh, unpack what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this is what the law is in relationship to our life. Let's start with this. Let's imagine this is all of creation. 
okay? All of it. That's Adam and Eve in the middle. And creation, when God gave it to us, was so incredibly amazing. God gave us swimming pools that we were able to just have so much fun in and experience the coolness of water when there's heat. He gave us these, this seesaw over here that we were able to go have fun on, and it's, it's, it's fantastic, and there's all these really fun things to do. As we look around, there's these beautiful views, and everything and anything that we would ever need, ever want, or even possibly dream of is here in creation. God has given it to us with his presence, and he has one rule— don't eat that apple. Don't eat it. <laughs> and of course they eat it. And then unfortunately what happens is they're then removed from the garden and by association we sinned in Adam and even we were removed from the garden and we were put in the desert. Put in the desert where we're looking in, we're seeing the good gifts that God had given to us, but we said, no, I, we, we want the apple and we removed ourselves and not only do we not, or do we not get to swim anymore, not only do we not get to play on the seesaw or have fun, but we forgot how to swim. We can't play with the seesaw in a way that doesn't kill us. All these great things that God gave us, they're now death traps. And to make matters worse, there's this impenetrable barbed wire fence that we'll never be able to go through, never be able to hop over, no technology that will help us come over it. It's there, we're never getting over it. And then, to make matters even worse, you got the law. The pedagogue's there with you. And the pedagogue, his job description reads this. Make sure that you remind them why they're here. Tell them, day after day, you are here because of you and nobody else. Second, make sure that you don't let them out of the gate. Don't let them pass the fence. They're not going to get past the fence. Don't worry. But you need to let them know that your job is to make sure they can't get over the fence. Third, don't teach them how to swim. Don't tell them what playing in the seesaw is like. Don't tell them about life past this fence. Your job is to hang out in this fence and in this area. Someone will come later, and if the time comes to teach them how to swim, that's not your job. You stay in here, and you, you make sure they don't get over that fence, and don't smile. All right? So now... This is the reality that he lives, we live in. We're, we're brokenhearted. We've, we've are away from the promises and the good things of God, and we've got this pedagogue just patrolling us every day, right? Telling us that we're bad, telling us we can't hop over the fence. And then one day, the pedagogue, he's out roaming around, and we're bummed out, and we get an image of the pool. We go, oh, I want to go swimming. I've, I've heard what it's like to go swimming. It's really hot here in this desert. I think I'm going to try and do it. And then you run as fast as you possibly can with every ounce of might and effort and strength that you have. You try and jump over that fence and get through it. There's literally not one more ounce of effort you can put into it, and you get stuck right in the fence. And you go, I, I'm not going to be able to make it through. You try and get down. You try and free yourself. And then the pedagogue shows up, and he says, what are you doing? You are here because of you. You're here for a reason. You're not getting past this fence. You know I'm not letting you do it. And you're not going to ever get past it. I'm not going to tell you. You are here. You're not getting past the fence. Don't, just stop. Day after day, over and over again, never ceasing, never changing. No matter how much we want to try, our reality is in this desert. And we have this guy with a sword who's constantly saying how bad you are. And is constantly saying, you're not getting over the fence. It's not happening. Over and over and over again. So we go, you know what? All right. Never getting over the fence. Sorry. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I realize it now. It's not going to happen. And then Jesus comes along. 
says, I've got a question for you. Do you want to go swimming? He says, yes! <laughs> That's all I've been wanting to do every day since I've been here. I want to go swimming. So desperately I want to go swimming. It's hot here. I'm, I, I'm going to experience goodness in this place. Yes, I want to go swimming. But there's this big dumb dude with a sword who won't let me go. Every single, I have tried, Jesus, I've tried every single time to get past there, and he keeps saying, no, you're here for a reason, and he keeps saying, I'm not letting you pass, and you're never going to get past, so guess what, try your hardest, I've tried, I'm not getting over that fence, and he's not going to let us go. And Jesus says, I know, <laughs> I had a conversation with him, and uh, he's, he's got a long list of demands, um, but uh, I fulfilled all of them. I did everything he asked, and he says, I can go through, and I want to take you with me. Here's the thing. Before you come with me, you have to recognize you're not getting over the fence. You are not going to do it. And in fact, that guy, he's not a big dumb dude with a sword. He's doing his job, and, and he's not going to change. If we go through this fence, he's not all of a sudden going to stop. He's not just all, all of a sudden going to let star people go through that fence. He's doing his job. He's not going to change. But if you want to go through that fence with me, you have to know the only way it's going to happen is if you trust me completely that I'm the one who can take you through the fence. It's the only way. It's the only way. Do you want to go swimming? He says, yes. Yes, I want to go swimming. And so Jesus goes, he has a conversation with the pedagogue, and he says, hey, I'm going to go through this fence. And he says, all right, here's my list of requirements. And he says, okay. And Jesus goes through the fence, and since it's barbed wire, and since one of the Commit one of the, 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 the lists that he has is, you're going to die. So he says, okay. He goes to the fence, and he gets bloodied up, and he dies. And, but by the power of God, and he, he's resurrected through the dead. And through that resurrection, all of a sudden, an opening comes through the fence. And Jesus comes back to us and says, I did it. You ready to go swimming? I'll take you. There's the, the look at the opening. And he says, all right, follow me. And he changes us completely, it makes our heart new, makes us a new creation, and it, we're, it, our reality is completely different. He says, okay, follow me, we're going to go swimming. And you say, okay, I'm coming, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the pedagogue comes, and he goes, he comes behind us, and we're like, oh no, Jesus, this was my chance, I was going to go swimming, he's going to stop me again. But some, completely surprised, the pedagogue says, no, 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 come on, let's go. Jesus, he, made, he, made the, he made the path, you're ready to go, go through it. What are you talking about? He's, he's supposed to keep me out of fence. No, go with Jesus. You can't do it, but Jesus is going, go with him. And Jesus takes us, and all of a sudden we got this new reality. We're, in the, we're back in the place. We get to go swimming. Finally, after all that time in the desert, we get to have fun. We go swimming. We experience the coolness of the water. We experience the grass and how awesome it is. We go play on the seesaw finally. We have fun. We've thought about what it's like to go play on the seesaw, but now we get to be on it. And we go and we hang out with Jesus and we realize this is so much better than what I was experiencing in the desert. This is so awesome. Jesus gives me the best advice. He makes me feel loved, accepted. This is amazing. And then we look back over at the law trying to mock him and we realize, oh, actually wasn't that bad. He looks different. He's smiling. We're completely changed and we see a different reality. Now, imagine... As you're looking at the law and all of this new amazing feeling you have, someone goes, I know you're having fun swimming, but let me tell you about this desert <laughs> with this guy that's got a sword. He's pretty cool. Do you want to go? No! Absolutely not. I'm not going back there. I know what it was like living there. I've gone swimming and I know how cool it is. I'm not going back. And that is 
the heart of Paul's attitude. He's saying, you've experienced what it's like to go swimming with God. Why would you go back to the desert? Why in the world would you go back to the desert after you know what it's like to swim with God? The whole purpose of the law, the whole reason he was there is so that you would go, I want to go swimming with Jesus. Is that I want to, that's the whole reason he was there. And Paul said the law was given so that our hearts would beg for freedom in Christ. That's why it was given to us, so that we would one day go, I want to go with Jesus. By grace and through faith in Jesus, you've been set free from this pedagogue, from your chains and prison. Why in the world would you willingly go back to the supervision of the law? You don't want to live a life governed by rules. You don't want to live a life where this guy's making all your decisions. You want to live a life lived by the Spirit. Now, this does beg the question, well then, what is the role, what is the relationship with the law today? Do we just throw it out? No, we don't. And Paul's not going to say that. What Paul's going to say is, look, this is what I want you to see when you see the law. I want you to look back. It's the same guy. It's the same sword. He hasn't changed. But you know what? He did what he was supposed to do. And with our new eyes, with our new reality and our freedom in Christ, we're able to look and say, okay, I get it. You know what? That's right. I wasn't ready to swim. There was no way I was going to make it over that fence. I, I thought I was going to. I tried, but <laughs> he was right. I was never getting over that fence. And you know what? If for some miracle I had and I would gone, I would have died. And we're able to look at the law and go, oh, I get it. He, it did its job and it's, it's, it, it cares for me and it loves me and it's, it protected me. And as we read through the rest of Paul's letters, we're going to see that in Galatians, this is what he would have us believe, but when, when Paul expounds on his theology and, and, and evolves a little bit, we're going to see ultimately what he's saying is, look, it's first task. There, the law does, we do have a relationship with it in some form or capacity. We're not going to talk about it this morning. That's going to be in future sermons to come. Um, but this morning, when we're asking the question, why was the law given to us? We have to recognize the law was never going to save us. Okay, the law was always going to prevent us from going swimming. Always. Our hope is not in the law. The law was given so that our hearts would beg for freedom in Christ. The law was given so that one day we'd learn to live by the Spirit. The law was given so that we could go swimming. And there's no reason, Paul says, that you should hope for the desert when you've got this amazing oasis, when you've got this pool, when you've got Jesus, why would you ever go back? This is so much greater, so much better than anything you could possibly imagine. Relationship with Jesus, that's what you want. Not the law, it's Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we just come to you humbly and recognize that in our limited understanding, we... We have an idea of why you gave us the law, why you operate the way you do. But God, we, we, we repent of that and we just say thank you. Thank you, thank you that not only in your wisdom did you seek to protect us through something that we thought would oppress us, God, but you loved us and you provided a way. We sang it this morning. You made a way when there was no possible way for us to get to you and back to God. Thank you, God, for doing that for us. And we just ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to know that you are the only way. And may we cling to that way. And may we give our life over to that way and seek to live by your spirit and not by rules and not by the law. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.